Good morning. It's good to see everybody. It's good to be up and going again. Uh, it's wonderful. Hey, I'll give you an update. People keep asking me about my health, right? How are you? I'm fine. Okay, I'm fine. Let me tell you a story. Uh, two weeks ago, Monday, I went to um, rehab, uh, cardiac rehab. Okay, cardiac rehab. Just in case you want to, cardiac rehab. I went to rehab, okay? And I, um, you know, when I'm at rehab, I do this. I basically get on a treadmill for 20 minutes. I then do this ergometer thing. It's like a hand bike deal, whatever. And it's not real fun. And then do some weights, which I've never done those in my life. So that's interesting. And then I get on a bike, which I'm very thankful for. A bike. Love riding a bike. So I get on the bike, and I just start riding. And I ride pretty hard, okay? They tell me to cool down. And so I, at the end, I'm cooling down. And, uh, you know, I cool down for a few minutes, and then they have me go sit down and, and wait five minutes to get my blood pressure checked, right? Okay. So I'm sitting there waiting the five minutes for my blood pressure to get checked, and I'm starting not to feel right. Like, I'm not feeling good. Something's not right. I'm thinking, you know, I just want to lay down, right? And so they, <laughs> they come over to take my blood pressure. They're not taking my blood pressure. He's, uh, he's working his master's, but he's an exercise guy, not a nurse, so he comes over to take my blood pressure. As he comes over, I say, hey, you're probably not going to get much today. So he puts the cuff on and starts to listen. And he says, hey, Chris, one of the RNs that work there, he goes, I can't hear anything. It's never a good sign. I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> and so, so it, it um, you know, they, she comes over and takes my blood pressure. She says, oh, it's at 60. We need a cart. Cart means they're bringing me a bed, okay? So I, mean, I felt like I wanted to lay down. They just brought me a bed to do it. They didn't want me on the floor in the place, okay? Now, to tell you this, as they're doing this and laying me down, I'm like, whatever, this is normal. This happens to me all the time. My kids and my wife see me ride my bike at home when I was riding, training, all those things. I'd get home, and some days I didn't feel good. So I'd lay down in the grass, the driveway, the back porch. I didn't care. I just wanted to lay down. I didn't realize that that meant my blood pressure was dropping. The 60 was the top number on the blood pressure. And technically, it's really only 58. There's some things in life that you want less of. Blood pressure is one of them for a lot of people. But you don't want to go that low. But it happens to me all the time. I've learned more about my body in my life. I didn't realize when I was riding my bike, basically when I got home all those days and I wanted to lay down, it's because my blood pressure had dropped significantly, which is normal after activity, but hey. So we're going to talk about less is more. In this case, you don't want as little as I had in blood pressure world. You don't want to go that low. Um, I was there a couple days later and I, I didn't know at that point what my blood pressure had been. And one of the other guys took it, and he said, man, you're like 98 over 60-something. I'm like, wow, I'm up 20 points. He goes, 20? You're up 40. I'm like, oh, okay. Didn't realize. And then I asked him later, what's the low number? What was the low number? And she said, we don't care about the low number after your high number's at 60. And we're like, we don't care. You're already in trouble, so we better do something. And honestly, all they did was pump me full of water, and I... Laid there for a little bit and felt good. And that's exactly what I've done every other time. Lay down, drink a little water. Dehydration is part of the deal. So this next four weeks, today and the next three, we're going to talk about less is more. 
There's something about our lives that, you know, we need less of. And it's us. We're going to take a look at John the Baptist over the next four weeks a little bit. And so John chapter 3, if you want to flip there, John chapter 3 is going to be on the screen. But we're going to look at John the Baptist and learn a few lessons from his life and then apply them into our lives. And we're going to use John each week probably as a little bit of a launching pad into uh, what, what we're going to talk about. So, so today, John chapter 3, verse 22, it says this. Then Jesus and his, his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent, Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because there, were, there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial, cleans, ceremonial cleansing. Now, that's a whole other story, but... But it's a little weird, right? Why would it break out over, over baptism? Well, baptism and the Jews, they, they kind of looked at it and went, what is going on here? Why is like, this whole baptism thing, why are they doing that? It should be ceremonial washing, all these that, That's just part of the discussion. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Now, at this point, John's ministry has been going really, really well. He was doing the work that God had given him to do. He knew what his job was. He was the forerunner. He was preparing the way for Jesus. But here's a little thought, something to keep in the back of your mind. Even when doing what God has called us to do, even when working together on a team, even when doing the things that God is encouraging us to do, wanting us to do, there probably will come times of discouragement and disappointment. John knows his role, and yet his disciples struggle with Jesus' popularity. We see here that John the Baptist had, had followers who, who knew about Jesus' story, knew about his baptism, who knew, knew John's testimony concerning Jesus, uh, and, and likely knew Jesus by name. But interestingly, they don't use his name. They don't refer to Jesus personally. They refer to him as the man who was with you on the other side. The one you identified as the Messiah. It appears they may harbor a little jealousy of Jesus' fame. John at this point in his life and ministry recognizes what's going on. He sees and understands. He knows what's happening and he responds perfectly. And this will serve as the foundation for this morning as well as the rest of the series. In verse 27, it says, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John speaks of Jesus and says, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. The truth here is that Jesus, and as Jesus becomes greater and greater in our lives, we will live with less selfishness. We will live with less of ourselves 
being in play. We'll try and live our lives less selfishly and we'll try and live more kindly, more like Jesus. We, we would, well, there's the parts of all of us that needs to get out of the way and let God work through us. We all know somebody, right? We all know somebody. It's not us. I mean, we know that. It's not us. But we all know somebody who is over-the-top selfish, right? It could be a co-worker. It could be a friend or acquaintance. It could even be a family member. I don't know. But we know, some, we know someone whose first thought is themselves. It's what they spend their most time thinking about. It's what they spend the most time working toward is themselves. Every conversation is about them. After I tell this long story about me, blood pressure, all right, whatever. (laughs) So our first takeaway from today is this. We must become less and Jesus must become more. More important than anything else in our life more important than anyone else that's around us. Jesus must become more and more important. He must become greater in our lives and we must become less. Because Jesus is bigger and better than anything else around. And I mean that because Jesus is not from here. As John put it, Jesus is from above. Verse 31 of John 3 says, He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son is eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. There's a couple things to recognize here. Jesus is not just a good teacher, a rabbi, a fulfiller of prophecy, a sage. He is God in the flesh. He has come from above. He's not like anyone else. There is no one like him. There is no one on his level. There are no other religious systems or thoughts or anything. They're equal to Jesus and Christianity. There is no way to eternal life without Christ. That is why it's so important for us to one, recognize it, but then to witness about it, to tell the story like John the Baptist. If we become less, Jesus will become more. And when Jesus becomes more, we will do the things Jesus wants us to do. Now look, this isn't about the church, but it will affect the church. It is about us doing what Jesus left for us to do. Right from Matthew 28, 19, we know the scripture, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gave his disciples and us a job to do. 
The disciples took the job they were given seriously. They were to make disciples. They were to be the witnesses that God had had told them to be. Here's the question I have for you this morning. How seriously do you take the job that you currently have? If you're retired, when you're working, how seriously did you work at your job? If we didn't work seriously at our job, look at again, I'm thankful for people that, that work in medical worlds now, way more than I ever have been. Um, you know, it's it just amazing to, you know, have, be sitting there and be in an emergency room and look over and here's this guy named Bill. Like, and he didn't want me to say that, but, but as I'm sitting there and they're asking me crazy questions, Bill's there and he was taking care of me. I need nurses like that. I never thought I'd need one like that. I thought I'd wait till later in life to worry about that. I'm glad they do their job well. Because if he didn't do his job well, I'd be a dead man. Right? So we want people to take their job seriously. We want people to work hard at their job. Well, Jesus gave one job to his disciples, and they took it seriously. He's left us with one job. And to be honest, if we don't take it seriously, there's going to be some dead people. And it's going to stink. Because he's given us a job to do, and it's called to be witnesses, to make disciples. Look, I actually think, as I look around the church in America, something we've got to get back to doing is a willingness to witness boldly about what Jesus has done for us, and who he is. It's probably the greatest place of disobedience in the church today. One job, one mission, one task. How well are we doing the task that Jesus left for us to do? Now it's heavy, But it's a matter of life and death. Eternal life and death. If we are going to do the work that God has called us to do, if we are going to witness boldly, there are some things that we need to do. And see, that's what the deal is. See, all of this life, all of what we're about to talk about, it's about getting more of us out of the way and letting more of God in. To to, to get less of us at the forefront, less of our feelings, less of what we want, and more of what He wants in our lives. And so if we're going to do that, we're, we're going to talk about for a few moments some things that we need to do to witness boldly. In Acts chapter 3, we see an incredible account, incredible account of Peter and John healing a crippled man. And if you don't know the story, you can read it later. It's Acts 3, Acts 4, that whole thing. But when you, when you I'm going to give you a quick overview. Peter and John encounter this man who's been crippled since birth. He, he's only known he couldn't walk. He's been a beggar. That's all he knows. He, he, he's just done that for his whole life. Well, they come by him and they see him and they do what they've seen Jesus do. And that is, hey, look, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They, they, they do what they've seen Jesus do because they, they've been with Jesus. And, and so it causes a little bit of a scene And Peter and John are given an opportunity to tell what Jesus has done. Look, when when this happens, 
They, they don't celebrate them. They're like, whoa, 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 not us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did on the cross. It's, it's all about the death, the resurrection. Oh, you put him to death, by the way. It's all about his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the things that he did. And yeah, you killed him, but he rose again. And he tells them this over and over again. He tells it to the people that are gathered around. And many come to faith that day. By that point, just Acts 2, Acts 4, by that point, 5,000 people are now followers of Jesus. In a very short period of time, we've got 5,000 followers of Christ. And, and that happens because they're witnessing boldly. They're happening because they're telling the story. They didn't shrink back. They, they were willing to do it in the face of persecution. Peter preached to the people gathered that day. And he sees plenty come to faith. But the problem is, it's going really well. And the people in charge in the day, the religious leaders, they don't like it. And so they arrest Peter and John. And here is where persecution for the church begins. They persecuted Jesus and the followers of Jesus. And we're promised persecution. Consider this. After chapter 3 of the book of Acts, the, the rest of the book of Acts. There's only three chapters in Acts that do not mention persecution. It suggests that persecution may be a necessary part of the Christian life, of following Christ. Paul confirms this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay, now I want to point out a couple things. Everyone Merry Christmas. That's my gift to you. Everyone will suffer persecution. Actually, it's Paul's gift to you. I didn't write it. But Jesus said himself in, in John 15, 20, a slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. But the implication is they didn't listen. And so they're not going to listen. And here's what's going to happen. Look, the, the truth of God, the message of Jesus is too much for some people to grasp. It's too much for people to respond to. For some people are going to hear it, they're going to ignore it. Some will oppose it. Some will look you square in the eye and say, how can you be so intolerant? How can you not say that there's other ways to heaven? How could you be so narrow-minded? Because Jesus isn't like anybody else. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because Jesus made an exclusive claim. And because of that, we must make that exclusive claim as well. Now, when you witness boldly and you make an exclusive claim, you will suffer persecution. It's going to happen. And if it's not happening, probably we are not stepping far enough into the fray. We're probably not communicating. In a, and I'm not saying that we have to be forceful. And, and look, witnessing boldly is just stepping into those moments when God gives the opportunity to share the message of Jesus. Look, that's what we're called to do. Now, how we do it, we don't have to offend everybody. We don't have to purposely, you know, poke people in the eye just to get their attention. We don't have to do that. But we've got to walk through the opportunity when God gives it to us. We need to be looking for those opportunities as well. It looks to me that suffering as you share the message of Jesus is an absolute necessity in our lives. 
It's an indispensable ingredient for the follower of Christ. We don't like it. But if Jesus says we're going to suffer and Paul says we're going to suffer, what makes us think we're not going to suffer persecution when we share the message of Christ? We are. Now look, if we're going to be willing to witness boldly, here is one of the first things we need to all do. And that's be with Jesus. Okay, from, from, from Acts chapter 4, that we see that those guys, when they had been with Jesus, it affected them to a level that they witnessed boldly. Uh, Acts 4.13 says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Okay. So part of the deal that prepped Peter and John for this experience in this moment was being with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Look, read his word. Spend time at the feet of the master, learning from his word, praying, going out to serve, and then to follow, and to do those things. We tend to become like those that we spend time with. So if we want to be like Jesus and act like Jesus and talk like Jesus, we've got to hang out with Jesus. We've got to spend time with him. We just spend time in his word. And that, that's what they did. They couldn't help talking about what they had seen and heard. It had made such an impact in them. It had changed them so greatly, they couldn't stop talking about it. Acts 4.19 says, But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Look, they were told, you've got to stop teaching about this man Jesus. Look, the, 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 the religious leaders, they, they're thinking, we can't do anything because everyone clearly saw a healing take place. The people like what happened, we can't do anything. So we're just going to command them not to speak about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Verse 20 says, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Look, the disciples had an incredible privilege, right? They were there. They were there, eyewitnesses to the events of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. They saw the miracles. They saw the stuff. They, they were, like they saw everything. And now they're faced with talking about it. They're faced with communicating. Look, I'd love to be able to go back to that, right? I'd love to be able to turn back the clock, jump in the time machine, go back and watch what had happened, right? I'd love to be an eyewitness of that. It's not going to happen. It's cool movie stuff, whatever, but it's not going to happen, right? So, so when we think about it, but our op- opportunity and our privilege is that we get to read the Scriptures. We get to look at what's happened. Look, I've got friends. Like, it just... Just, nah, just jealous. I'm jealous. That's all there is to it. Jealous, I'm telling you. Look, pull up Facebook. What do I see? Facebook this morning. I see my friends. Oh, Pastor Jenna's dad. Yeah, he's in Israel right now. Like, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of, like, Bill and Aiko. They've walked those places. They've seen the places that Jesus was walking. They stood in the places of Herod's temple. They've looked at those things. They've looked and experienced. They've, they've walked through the Garden of Gethsemane. They've seen those things. And when you realize that, like we're not talking about theory here. Yeah, he, he, he's not there. 
But as you walk through those moments, you begin to discover and you read the scriptures and you see what's going on in those places. You, it comes alive. And, and what you have to realize is that we need to have that understanding that we are not eyewitnesses. But the eyewitnesses have communicated the story. They told us what's happened. They know it. And we can look at it through history. And we can discover. And we can understand. And it ought to drive us to communicate the, the, the truth about who Jesus is. We cannot stop telling about what's happened in our lives. I can't stop talking about what's happened in my life. Right? Look, look, it didn't take much. You get a heart attack. You got all kinds of stories. But what about the stories of Jesus? What about the stories of his change in our lives? What about the stories of how he radically changed us? Why won't we talk about that story as much as we should? Why are we so hesitant to talk to our friends, our family members, whoever it is, about the power of Christ in our lives? Why, why can't we talk about the hope that he's launched into us, that he, he, he just poked into us and, and infused us with hope all of a sudden because of what he's done? Like recognize his power of what, what he's changed us, the story of what he's done in us. Be with Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. Listen to Jesus. It'll make us want to tell the stories. The second thing we need to do is this. In order to witness boldly, is to ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Look, Acts 4.8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, I'm saying, why shouldn't we want the same thing? Okay, from Acts 2, we know the story. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, right? Acts 4, here's Peter, and, and there seems to be something here. There's not a reason why they would just say, oh, then Peter filled the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that Peter had filled the Holy Spirit on Acts 2. It's that Peter, Peter's filled afresh and anew for this moment, for this time. And, and what we need to be asking for is God to fill us with his Holy Spirit regularly. Look, it probably wouldn't hurt every day, to be honest, just to ask God for fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Look, Luke is describing for us what it takes for effective ministry in the New Testament era. Speaking out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit and out of a knowledge of the Scriptures. Th that's what we need. The, the apostles had a boldness that came from a confidence about their message and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Look, John the Baptist, we, we started with John, we'll go back to him. John is a unique position. We read in the scriptures that even before his birth, he was filled with the Spirit. Luke 1.15, an angel talking to Zechariah, the announcement made, Zechariah, I've heard your prayer, you're going to have a child, it's I know it's weird, but you're going to have one. And here's the story. And he says this, For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Peter and John in the first century church knew they did not possess what it would take to do what Jesus had called them, called them to do. They knew they didn't have it. They, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. 
we also need to recognize our need for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to carry out the work that Jesus has left for us to do. The final thing we're going to talk about today, to witness boldly, I'm going to encourage you to ask God to make you bold. Look, the the final part of this story is the end of Acts 4, and they've been threatened, they've been told, you can't go preach about Jesus anymore, that whole thing. And they go back to the gathering of believers. They gather together, and they pray this prayer. Verse 29 of Acts 4. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand to heal... Oh, sorry, I memorized it, and this is new living. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look, many things can help us to become more bold. One of them is the realization of the urgency of the gospel. When I hear a few weeks ago of a student from Washington Rural that was killed in a car accident on I-470 in Gage, and I hear one of the first thoughts from, well, I don't want to embarrass her, but my daughter, I wonder if one of her friends ever told her about Jesus. That's an urgency of the gospel. Look, I want my kids to be successful in a lot of things. I want them to do well in school. I want them to do well at life, whatever. But that an urgency for the gospel means more than me than most. I'm not sure I could think of anything else, especially for a guy who spent three years traveling in the state of Illinois just trying to find ways to communicate the message of Christ to high school kids through school assemblies and outreaches at night. Trying to put the co- a copy of God's word into every kid's hands in the state of Illinois. And to hear the urgency of the gospel. Look, when somebody has had a life-altering experience, like a heart attack or strokes or whatever, there's suddenly an urgency in the gospel. A few months ago, I had an opportunity with Onus Lemon called me, and one of his friends was dying. So Onus calls me up and says, will you go with me? Notice, Jesus sent disciples out in pairs. It's always easier to share the gospel when someone's with you. So Onus calls me and says, hey, would you go with me to talk to my friend who's dying? They said he's only probably got a couple days maybe to live. There's an urgency there. Right? There's a reality, there's a finality that's coming. When you're passing with cancer and, and you're watching a body get racked with pain and, and sickness, you, you recognize there's an urgency there. The problem is we don't recognize the urgency on most given days. We see the people around us and we take it for granted that they're going to have another day. There must be an urgency of the gospel. There was an urgency of the gospel in the first century because they believed Jesus was coming back before they had their next breath. 
Okay, be honest. Like, like they thought that Jesus, Jesus said, I'm coming back. And once he was gone, they're looking for him every single day. So they realize that their time to communicate the message of the gospel is very short. So they're going to communicate fast. They, they want to make sure everyone hears the message. We have gotten too comfortable, too okay with people around us not knowing that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Somebody else will do it. I'm I'm unqualified. Remember, they were uneducated in the scriptures, it says of the disciples. Of Peter and John, it was recognized that they had no formal training. You are more formally trained probably in the scriptures at this point, or could be, than they could have been. We have more access to the scriptures than they ever had. Now, yeah, they were trained some. They, they had some training. But notice they were fishermen. <laughs> they were no longer in rabbinical school. They weren't rabbis. They weren't teachers. They weren't part of the leading priests and elders. They, they, they were not. And it was noted that they were unschooled in the scriptures. You and I are equipped and can be equipped to do it. Not not just with knowledge of Scripture. I believe you must have knowledge of Scripture, but the power of the Holy Spirit operating your life as well. And you need to ask God for help. Ask God to make you bold. Look, we're going to close with this. Simple closing. There's three prayers to pray today. The first one is this. If you walked in here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, that's the first prayer to pray. If you understand who Jesus is and you pray a prayer that's simply along the lines of, Lord, I understand who you are, Jesus. I believe in your death and your resurrection and I want to follow you. That is the starting point. That's the place to begin. He just wants you to come and throw yourself at his feet. Look, we sang some songs that explain a lot of what's going on. When you think about, you know, my sins were great, but his grace is greater. When I realize what Jesus has done for me, I don't care what your sin is. It can be big sin, little sin. They're all the same. They're going to send you to hell. They're going to send you from a separation from Jesus, that's what it is. Any sin separates us from God. Just that simple. And, and so when you look at that, our, our sin, whatever it was, all of us have sinned. There's not a single person in the room, so if you're like sitting there going, well, I, I mean, I, I don't want to admit I'm, well, look, we're all there. We've all come at some point in our life and said, and oftentimes every day we come to Jesus and say, forgive me. That's the starting point. Start with Jesus. Pray a simple prayer. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. I want to become a follower of Jesus. That's the place to start. For everybody else in the room who's already a follower of Jesus, here are the two prayers I'm asking every one of us to pray. And if you start with a life of following Jesus today, I'm asking you to pray these prayers. First prayer. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want everybody to pray that prayer. I just want everybody to just say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Look, it was good enough for, 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 for the guys in the first century. And they did a pretty good job. I'm saying, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I know you've been filled before. Some of you have been filled before with the Holy Spirit. It's fine. 
Ask God to fill you again. A fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit for today's task, for today's work, for what he wants us to do today. If you only got paid once in your lifetime for your job, you'd be ticked, okay? So ask God for more, okay? Ask God for more. To say, Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit today because I need what I need for this moment and this hour. The second prayer. Ask God to enable you to witness boldly. Lord, would you enable me to witness boldly? Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Enable me to witness boldly. Look, I also want you to live holy. I want you to do all those things. But, but today, when we're focusing on, on, on witnessing boldly, if, we're gonna, if, if less is more, if there's less of us, there's going to be more of Jesus, and we're going to witness boldly because of that, and those are the two prayers I need you to pray. Those are the two prayers that God wants you to pray. He, he wants you to ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit afresh and anew. And he wants you to ask him to enable you to witness boldly. That's what's going to make a difference in the world in which we live. You and I, filled with the Holy Spirit, asking God to enable us to witness boldly. In schools, in stores, in neighborhoods, in families. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to witness boldly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, I'm asking in these moments as we draw this gathering to a close, Lord, would you fill people with your Holy Spirit this morning? Would you enable us to witness boldly? Lord, I pray there's not a single person in this room that doesn't pray those prayers. And Lord, I'm asking you to meet every person in those moments that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we just take a moment and some time here at the end of a service, Lord, I'm asking you to fill your people afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Lord, and I'm praying that as a prayer we'll pray every single day. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to witness boldly. Lord, as we find ourselves at your feet every single day of our lives, Lord, as we're cracking open the scriptures and we're finishing a time just trying to discover more about who you are and what you've done, Lord, as we're there in your presence, would we pray those prayers over and over again, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to speak your word with boldness, to witness boldly. Whether it's on a college campus or a high school campus or junior high campus or a corporate campus or a neighborhood, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit and enable us to witness boldly. Whether it be at the Capitol We're at Walmart. Lord, enable us. Be in the hospital or be in our backyard. Fill us with your Holy Spirit 
and enable us to witness boldly. Lord, I thank you. God, thank you what you've done in my life and what you've done in our lives, that we know you, we get to follow you. Lord, help us to be obedient to your command, to be witnesses, to make disciples. And Lord, thank you for the tools to carry it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand this morning. Michael's going to lead us in a song. He's going to lead us in a song that he led us at, during offering time. And if you would like prayer this morning, prayer teams are going to come. They're going to come up here. They'll meet you to pray. And if you, need, if you need to accept Jesus, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to be able to witness boldly whatever you need prayer for, our prayer teams will meet you here. And they'll pray with you. And I'm just telling you, you can be fill the Holy Spirit right where you're standing this morning. Look, it's just God's ability. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit driving home in your car today because that's God's ability. You could be parked in your garage filled with the Holy Spirit because that's God's ability. He is not confined to this location. He wants to fill you afresh and anew every single day.